eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball! Turn, picks a flow, and touchdown is frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! The dome, the dome, the dome is a rocket. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Black and Gold, a brand new New Orleans Saints podcast powered by WWL and Odyssey. I'm Steve Geller, hanging out with Jeff Nowak, and we're here to bring you the latest. What was that? Sorry. I said, yes, sir. Oh. I'm leaving that in. Okay. Yes, this is, uh, this is, the first episode of this new podcast. We're feeling it out. We're trying to figure out how to do this thing. We're we're podcast newbies, or uh, you know, a little bit. I had a podcast before. It wasn't very good. I'm a total podcast newbie, and guilty guilty admission here. I, I'm not a podcast listener, so it's kind of a little weird that yeah, it is I'm weird. starting a podcast as well. I am a podcast listener. I'm still bad at it. Um, I'm just trying to not make it sound like I'm talking on the radio because I feel like those are two very different things. So we're going to try our best to not make this a radio show. That said, we are going to be very, very uh, reportery throughout it. And I think that's that's what I do want to I do want to indicate right away. I, I'm not going to sit here and just just rant about these Saints topics that uh, we could rant about all day long because there's 70,000 different podcasts that are going to do that for you. And our selling point, I think, is going to be that, you know, we actually go talk to the players. You know, we're out of training camp. We're inside the locker room. Steve is the sideline reporter for the Saints. I don't get to hang out on the sidelines. I'm up in the press box. But that's the type of access that we're going to try to leverage here. And, you know, we'll have some interviews uh, that I got in the locker room that we're going to play in the back end. We're going to be pulling some stuff off sports talk, some interviews that we get. And uh, that's what we're going to go for mainly here. And I'm looking forward to it. See, that's even more attractive. We, we got you covered from the dome, from the roof to the ground floor. Yes, because the press box is literally like touching. Like, I got probably reach up and like grab the, the logo on the ceiling. Uh, based, like I'm looking straight down. I try to tell my parents that they, they ask me, it's like, oh, you get the good seats. I'm like, no, 
no, we do not get the good seats. I'm lucky if I'm if I'm not looking directly down at the field and I can see what's going on. But you know, hey, we get in there for free. <laughs> my my first year getting to cover the Saints was 2009, and that's when the the press box was in the middle level before it got mm-hmm. moved to the roof. That was a beautiful thing. the The sight lines were great. Uh, you were in the the middle level of the Superdome, and it was just wonderful. And I got that for one season, and then it was yeah up to the roof. Yeah, I've gotten in a habit of like bringing a phone book because I have to be like I'm I'm six feet tall, but I'm not quite tall enough to like see over the ledge. And because the seats are padded, so I bring a phone book and I sit on it, and that really helps me out. You don't have to worry about that because you're hanging around on this field level. Um, what is it? What is it like on field level during the games? I've always wondered that because I've never I've been down on the field for like college games. They don't let you for the NFL, but I've always felt like it's probably hard to see what's going on without without the elevation. Very hard to see plays develop. You're for me, my job. I feel like it's more of getting, you know, all the intimate interactions between the players. Uh, the things going on on the field level themselves, not so much of the plays that are developing. But, yeah, watch, watching football is a, a whole different experience there. The speed, you can imagine, is so high, uh, the intensity level. you got to watch out where you are standing as well because you will get run over. Uh, there's been plenty of times where Taysom Hill almost took me out my first year. I was, it was in a, the game in Atlanta. And I, I definitely know to keep my my head on a swivel more there. Just him and specifically, he's just targeting you. I, I felt like yes, he was just coming in and rolling into me, and I had to to like dive out the way. Uh, that but, explains a lot. He doesn't like to slide in the field, but he likes to slide at Steve uh, at the first. As long as you're past the first down marker, he, what, he'll what, come right after you. What was funny too is when he got driven to the ground too. He kind of he like laughed and shook it off and 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 ran off. I, I thought that was amusing. He just yeah. just laughed off the tackle entirely. Because if he ran into you, you would not be laughing and shaking it off. No, you I'd would probably be, be out for the season. Who who was it that wiped out Sean Payton? Was it Jimmy Graham? It was Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what you would be. You you would be on crutches for weeks if if he wiped you out. Uh, yeah, the we would need a backup. We would need the Joe Vitt of uh, WWL to come and fill in for you. I was gonna say we'd switch spots. You'd be on the floor. I'd be on the roof. <laughs> right, right. Or who was it? Was it Pete Carmichael? He. I think that was. I think that's the story behind when Pete Carmichael called plays against the Colts and won like they won like sixty-two to seven. Yeah, like the most insane score you've ever you've ever seen. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the that's Pete Carmichael, right? The guy that everyone's talking about. Ooh, can he can he call plays now? Man, we saw it happen. Uh, Drew Brees had a little bit to do with that, but now so yeah. So I think we're just gonna we're just gonna use this kind of opening to kind of explain who we are, you know. So I'm from New England originally. I've worked in South Carolina. I've worked in Massachusetts covered Coastal Carolina, which when I moved down to New Orleans in 2016, it was a funny time because if anyone was listening as LSU baseball fans, that was the year that Coastal Carolina came down and really just drove a stake through the heart of LSU fans, became the new Stony Brook. And it was funny because I'd literally just moved down here after covering Coastal Carolina. And the first, like within three weeks, the team I was covering was down here beating up on LSU at, at the box. Um, so that was my Everyone kind of was asking what a Chanticleer was. A Chanticleer? Yeah. It's a fighting chicken. No, yeah. I know. That's what everybody was asking. What the heck is that? And then yes, they find they, out, oh, they're, they're fighting birds. Yeah, it's like a Gamecock. Right. It's South Carolina. They have the Gamecocks and the Chanticleers, except the Chanticleer is like a fighting chicken from like Jeffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. It is like the most bizarre, <laughs> like at least a Gamecock is like, oh yeah, that's intense. We're afraid of that. The, the nickname for Coastal Carolina is the Chants. 
which is spelled like chance. So you're chanting chance. Anyway, um, we're going we're going a little bit uh, out of, out of our uh, realm here, out of our depth. We're here to talk about the Saints and fantastic uh, first episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, so yeah, I've I've been kind of working into Saints coverage. I was over at NOLA.com for a while, been at WWL for about a year. My first year here was last year. So 2020, I was covering the team from this room specifically because I couldn't go to the games. Uh, this last season, I was at most of the games at the home games. We couldn't travel. Um, but, you know, we're looking forward to this year. I know, Steve, you and I are going to be tag teaming on the pregame show, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, and that'll be kind of an offshoot of the podcast. Yeah, we're going to be covering you from every angle. We're going to get pregame, postgame. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like m- my frustration with the COVID years had to deal with, you mentioned not traveling and having to do sideline reports while watching a monitor the past two seasons has been pretty brutal and a little, you know, very off-putting I'll say it's, it, it, you know, you, you want to be there. You want to be part of the action. Uh, luckily for home games, that wasn't an issue. And th- I, I just got onto the sideline, the two- 2018 season. And I thought I was going to the Super Bowl at the end of that year for sure. I did too. That, yeah. that and that the Nola no call literally happened 15, 20 feet in front of me. I heard it, I saw it. Uh, I couldn't believe that there was no flag, obviously, like everyone else. And it was just absolute pandemonium. Yeah. I still maintain that the, that Saints team in 2018 was the closest they had gotten because it's the NFC Championship, obviously. But I still think 2017 was the bigger missed opportunity. That felt like they had the best team and they had the best road. They were, were going to get the Eagles in the NFC Championship. And, uh, hey, we can we can talk about it now, because Marcus is out of town. The worst missed tackle I have ever seen in a live football game. <laughs> I, I've always hesitated to bring it up, because I have to go talk to the guy, but he's in Baltimore now. Uh, he's, on the, he's on the opposing sideline, so... Uh, we can we can say it. It was an egregiously bad tackle attempt, and I think that cost the Saints. You know, I don't think the Saints would have beaten the Patriots in 2018. You know, strike me down from above. But I do think that the Saints would have beaten the Eagles and the Patriots in 2017. See, to me, I, I, I'm uh, all confessions for everyone here. Growing up a Jersey boy, I was not a Giants or a Jets fan. I was actually a Philadelphia Eagles fan because I liked the helmets. So. Uh, but uh, being, I'm trying to be non-biased here, but I think like that, that Super Bowl run for that year for that Super Bowl, that Eagles team was was one of those magical runs too, where you had freaking Nick Foles. It yeah, was but Nick it's Foles. because they they got to patty cake through Case Keenum in the NFC Championship. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like they wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl if the Saints were in. And that's the thing. Like remember 2018? It's it's easy to say, oh well, yeah that. They would have gone to the Super Bowl and blah, blah, blah. Mike Thomas had a broken fin- broken bone in his hand that right. he was playing through the NFC Championship. Like, he was not going to be 100%. The team itself was not playing at its peak level at that point in the season. They went 13-3, and three and they had a great regular season. But I think they had peaked already, whereas that 2017 was peaking at the perfect time. They were down, what, 17 nothing in the first half of that game? <laughs> To me, that was the best chance since, you know, 2011 was probably the team that had the best chance with Drew Brees to get to the Super Bowl. You know, you talk about you grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in New England as a Giants fan. So I was happy that they did not have to see the Saints 
that year because uh, the Giants actually won the Super Bowl that year. They beat the 49ers in the NFC Championship. Uh, and I don't think the Giants would have beaten the Saints. Um, no, everybody talks that that 2011 offense was really unbelievable. The, you know, you should talk about the greatest show on turf part two. Uh, it just seemed they scored points at will that year. Yeah. Yeah. And they just couldn't stop Vernon Davis. Um, no, that, that was definitely the problem on the, on the defensive end for sure. Uh, Vernon Davis or Alex Smith. Well, we're hitting on some negativity here, so let's let's kind of turn the table a bit. What is your favorite Saints moment, favorite Saints game uh, from you know the time you've spent covering the team since 2009? Can't be the Super Bowl. It's too easy. No, but the game before, that's still the best game I've ever attended because I didn't get to go to the Super Bowl in Miami. I was the newbie at WWL. I was the guy staying at the station, chopping up the sound, getting everything ready for the guys that were already staying in Miami and everything. But I was at the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings. And to me, that's still the loudest I've ever heard the Superdome. Uh, the game, obviously, was pretty amazing from start to finish with the the drama, the intensity, the turnovers. Uh, the, it goes into overtime. Uh, you just the, – the whole feeling in the place, too, because, you know, as media members, we're, we're not supposed to be cheering – I just remember being in the holding area on the ground level waiting to get, you know, cause you got to get to the locker room kind of stuff and just watching the, the game ending on the monitors there. And when Garrett Hartley hit that game winning field goal, everybody in the media tent erupted as well because it was just something that nobody I'm sure had ever pictured here. I even there's, there's was so much jokes made about the saints from me growing up as a, a fan in, in New Jersey, it was like, oh, the, their fans wear bags over their heads. Uh, and and then even moving here, uh, I remember it was like, wow, Bobby Bear is this beloved figure. And to me, I remember him doing the, you know, with his arms out as an Atlanta Falcons soaring through the Superdome. So it was just one of those moments I feel there was so much that was released and appreciated at that moment. It was such a joyous time. Uh, definitely the best game in any sport that I've been to live. That's fair. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So I haven't been a Saints fan my whole life, obviously, and I'm not technically a Saints fan now. But I do think what you said was interesting there because people have asked me occasionally like, okay, do you root for the team? And technically, I will say no. I, I don't actively like root for the team, but I do pull for the team to win and I pull for the Pelicans to win even though I cover those teams you know I'm not up there cheering in the press box but no if you talk to any sports reporter around the country no one enjoys covering a bad team (laughs) like it's not a fun experience it's a lot more fun to cover a team that's doing well and a lot of it is because when you interview the players when you interview the coaches they want to talk to you when a team is on a five-game losing streak, you're not getting good quotes. You're not getting happy people. You no, know, those seven and nine years, those three straight seven and nine years right. in the Saints locker room was was rough. 
It's just an unpleasant experience. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want you to be there. They want to go and like they're pissed off. They're angry. And then, you know, you're just they're asking them questions and you're just not getting good answers. The storylines aren't good. You know, the engagement isn't good. The fans don't want to read about it when it's bad. Actually, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy where if the team is seven and nine, I like like you mentioned, that's like the kiss of death. Yes, where that's terrible and you're not good. If you're like three and 13 or now three and 14, you at least have the engagement of, okay, well, we're getting a top pick. Maybe they're going to fire the coach. Maybe we'll finally move on from this. Uh, You know, seven and nine, eight and eight, when that would be seven and 10 and eight and nine. You know, those are the records where it's like just good enough to be like, stuck in mediocrity. Yeah, like even nine and eight last year, you're kind of like, okay. Yeah, but you know, clearly they're good enough to win. Last year's was different though because of all the injuries and the, the the drama they had to deal with. I felt like nine and eight was a successful season, and as as crazy as that sounds. Oh no, it was it was, but it still like puts you in that range of like we still don't know, we still don't know exactly what you can hope for a ceiling for Jameis Winston. No, we still right. don't know, you know, whether this kind of core without Drew Brees can be a contender. We know that the defense is good enough to drag the offense kicking and screaming to the you know edge of the playoffs. We know that. We know that for a fact, and that's why I'm okay with this team choosing not to kind of rebuild and like re, you know clear the decks and just start fresh because that defense is too good to waste. But there's just so many questions on offense that have forced you to really, really leverage yourself and that's why getting Jarvis Landry on that sweetheart deal, one year, $6 million is so huge because if you had to overcommit for a wide receiver that, you know, if things go badly this year, you're going to try to get out from under, that would be difficult. Um, but that's why Jarvis is so, so huge. In other words, the saints never got to the point that the giants have been at for the last five years. <laughs> you're firing coaches you're three and 14 you're drafting saquon barkley number two overall it's a dumpster fire but if i'm going back for memories of the saints as i was growing up i will never forget the most helpless i felt watching a giants game i want to say i was in college at that point so it was in the range of like 2012 2013 and the giants went to the superdome for a monday night football game And I remember, you know, because we I was on a student newspaper and we would always put the paper out on Mondays. It was a weekly. And then we would go to a bar near campus, you know, uh, definitely, definitely wasn't underage drinking. Don't don't throw that at me. Um, But we would go to a bar near campus and we'd watch the the Monday night game. And my really good friend, Pete, he's a Giants fan. And we'd be like, yeah, finally, we get to watch the Giants. Have we put out the paper? It's going to be a great time. We get there. And like by the end of the first quarter, we're like, okay, this is. This is a this is a loss. This is no, just no way. <laughs> like that at, by at that point, going to the Superdome was a death sentence. Um, and I don't know why it doesn't feel that way now. Why it didn't feel that way last season? Um, but I I will never forget. Like I vividly remember that I was watching on this giant TV. Like they could play this game ten times. The Giants would never get it within ten points. Like it was they, there was that level of dominance at the dome at that point, and you could feel it through the TV. That that dome field advantage a lot of people have talked about has, I don't want to say diminished, but it hasn't been as the same intensity. And I know Sean Payton called out fans plenty of times. Multiple times last year. He yeah. he, he did not pull any punches. He he called them out. <laughs> uh and I, I my response to that was like, well, but Sean, you guys keep losing at home. 
<laughs> How right. loud like, do you expect the fans to be if you're going if you're losing what I think they went two and five at home, not including the, the uh, Jacksonville game. I, like, I can I can tell you though that that game against the Buccaneers was pretty loud. Well, right, exactly. And that was Mark Ingram's first game. Like the loudest hoot out of the season was Mark Ingram when he came out. And it's like, yeah, when when you give fans a reason to cheer, they're gonna cheer. You know, the the Superdome is usually immune to that to some extent. It's gonna be loud every week. This is not, you know, the the Jaguars friend. Like it's if you're not playing well in some markets, the fans won't show up and they won't yell. That is not the case in New Orleans, but it is the case in terms of okay, are we talking ear splitting or are we talking like dull roar? And I, yeah. I have scientific proof because I bring the sound meter with me on the sideline, and it definitely has not been peaking up in those uh, 110, 111 areas because the Superdome scoreboard, I'm telling you. It lies. Uh, yeah, it lies. It's, it's there to pump, I guess, the crowd up even more, set, you know, showing uh, how loud they think they're getting. But in actuality, I would say it was, you know, you're around 101, 102 decibels last year which is definitely not at its peak as it's been in the past. Yeah. Um, and I am curious, you know, did the renovations have something to do with that? Yeah, that's It does feel like the right sound there. escapes a little more with the way they've kind of restructured some of the seating and like it, there's openings to the concourses and it does feel like to some extent the sound kind of seeps out. And to and, me, what, what about taking away some of the most passionate fans from that level? That, that area, and then turning them into the suites. Well, we can talk about this too. There's 4,000 fewer seats in the building right now. I, I wrote a story about this, and we kind of went through it. The Saints sold out every game, but the attendance is 4,000 fewer, and it was the exact same number every time. That's how you can tell it's a sellout. If it was fluctuating, it would be a different number. But So that's the maximum capacity, and it's 4,000 fewer than you have been seeing in recent years, and that's got to be due to the renovations and how they've readjusted some of these seats. So I said to me, that's, you know, that's a factor, you know, 4,000 fewer voices, you know, it, it, it also like raises the lower level of what seats are going to cost you because there's fewer seats to be had. And, you know, I don't know if that's how big of a factor that is, but it's there. And I will say that there was a report that the Saints attendance is down by 8,000 year over year. That is true. I'm sorry, not year over year from since 2019. That is technically true. But remember the home attendance factors in the Jacksonville game. And there oh, was an awful. 30 something thousand people at that game, which yeah. I would argue is a really good turnout for a game in Jacksonville with two teams that don't, aren't from Jacksonville. You know, I mean, that's probably more fans than Jacksonville gets for a lot of games. Um, but it's about half as much as you would get at the Superdome. So it, that actually effectively is the difference. It doubles the number from 4,000 to 8,000. I was going to say, um, if you take that, that, that game out though, the, what the, does it skew the numbers differently? Well, that, that, exactly. If you take that game out, that 8,000 drop is 4,000, which is like just down the line of the number of seats in the stadium because it's the same number every week in terms of the attendance, which indicates a sellout. Yeah, that, that plan kind of back, uh, backfired on Peyton last year, choosing the Jacksonville venue, thinking that those Green Bay fans weren't going to travel out there. Well, well, it backfired until the game started. <laughs> right. There were a lot of Green Bay fans there, and yeah. they they showed up and watch their team get annihilated that you know honestly we're talking about great saints memories as as poorly as that season went last year and as frustrating as it was to watch all the quarterbacks go down and you know to watch camara miss four games and and all these losses in the middle of the season a five game losing streak i still that feeling after that 38 to 3 when i was in jacksonville for that 
<laughs> it's hard to top that at that point because everyone was talking about how, you know, this team is going to struggle. James doesn't have a chance, blah, blah, blah. And for at least a couple days, you got a break from that. <laughs> and then the next week they got blown out by Carolina and everyone was back on the bandwagon of oh, this team doesn't have a chance. But for that very brief window, we didn't have to hear about it. And that was nice. I missed that. Yeah, and to me, you mentioned last season as well, another high point, that 9 nothing game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is that's, that's up there with one of the best football games I've been to as well. Most enjoyable, for sure. Anytime you shut out Tom Brady, it's a good time. It's only happened twice in his career, and the last time was like 2004. Oh, so. and just the, the amount of jawing going back and forth, that's another enjoyable part about the sideline, obviously, too, is hearing you know guys going back and forth, uh, talking the trash and... Well, we know, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a professional trash talker amongst being the top slot corner in the NFL, as he says. I uh, don't, don't want to leave that out because he gets uh, a little aggravated when we don't talk about his playing, just his trash talking. But uh, just, just overall, the, that whole feeling on the field, that game was so intense in the exchanges between the players. Uh, you, you could tell it, was, it meant a lot to everybody, obviously. Yeah, anytime you can drive Tom Brady to smash equipment on the sideline, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good.